Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Family with Family, a mindful discussion of wholesome fare. My name is Jackson Harper, and joining me as always is my mother, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> Don't giggle. <laughs> what? Don't giggle. No, I like that greeting. Like, if we ever had merch and we made t-shirts, it would have to say, greetings and salutations, quote, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. <laughs> <laughs> but it's from Charlotte's Web, isn't well, it? Well, salutations is. Greetings and salutations. Actually, when I hear greetings and salutations, I think of Eugene from Adventures in Odyssey. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. One of the best characters on that show. Best. Okay. How was your day? It was good. I it was um I worked this morning at my desk for a very long time. And then Yeah, uh, it's tax season, y'all. Yep, I did a tax return today, <laughs> but I also did missions checks today and some accounting. Then dad and I went to town. We bought um Wilkes a basketball goal for Christmas. Um and it was still sitting on the carport. So we took it and Eric and Dad put it together. Okay. Shooting hoops. Do you think Wilkes will enjoy basketball more than I did as a child? Which is to say, I enjoyed it not at all. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, hopefully so. Hopefully that that hoop gets more use than our hoop did. <laughs> well, the other hoop is still in action. Okay. Yeah, it's still being used <laughs> occasionally. All right. Tell our listeners what film are we discussing tonight? Tonight we are discussing what I have since learned is a cult classic called <laughs> The Princess Bride. I think it's gone from what? I think it's gone from cult classic to just classic at this point. I wondered why I read that it was a cult classic. I mean because I, that's how it started, but now it's just a regular classic. All so. right. 1987. Uh-huh. Um, uh, a Rob Reiner film. Uh-huh. Um, where grandfather, played by Peter Falk, comes Columbo. to see, Yes, Columbo. <laughs> comes to see grandson, they don't have names, uh, Fred Savage who is sick in bed with, I don't know, looks like just a cold to me, but anyway. yeah, um, he, he really doesn't want to see his grandfather coming because mm -hmm. he's afraid he'll pinch him. <laughs> Which he does. Yes, he does. Immediately. <laughs> but he, he comes in with a present and it's a book, which is uh -huh. so cool. And um, he's come to read a book to him. And uh -huh. the, of course, the story in the book is the whole story. And it's another fairy tale we're talking about tonight, about farm boy and farm girl, Wesley yeah. and Buttercup. And it's the story of love realized, love lost, and love regained. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's start by, um, what's your history with this movie? Because we talked about this a little bit last week. This was not a movie that, like, you showed us when we were kids. I never saw it in 1987. I mean, yeah, so we were just we a, both came to this a little bit later. Yes, and I don't even remember the first time I saw it. It was it wasn't uh -huh. even all that long ago. I mean, I don't I don't remember the first time I saw it. Do you remember right. the first time I saw it? I remember watching it at home. I think with you and Dad and probably Eric. Brandon probably wasn't there yet. So, yeah, it was probably just the four of us that watched it. And it was probably on recommendation of somebody from church or something like that. But that is, that's a long time ago because you've been gone yeah. a long time. Yeah. Uh -huh. But why did you pick this movie? Because like we've established, I pick the odds, she picks the evens. Yes. And this is not one that I even, I would have expected me to pick. And I just <laughs> kind of picked it on a whim because it's funny. Yeah. Really funny movie. Um, though in re-watching it, I thought, why did I pick this movie? Because it's not, I mean, there's some, it's, it's kind of like a family movie, but not for little kids for sure. And um, there's some things I don't like in it. 
but okay. it has a lot of redeeming factors. And like I said, it's very funny. Yes. So okay. I'd say that's why I picked it because it's really funny. All right. Well, why don't we get into our first okay. segment then? Character counts. Character counts. So boy. We're in mom lists all the characters like oh, yes. we're in a play. Oh yeah. This is the <laughs> cast. Okay, number one, we have Wesley, who is also known as the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes. Um, he's the farm boy. And Buttercup, who's the farm girl, Robin Wright. Princess Buttercup. Princess yeah. Buttercup. But I've never seen her in anything else. Really? You've never seen her in anything else? No. You've seen Forrest Gump, right? Oh, is she in Forrest Jenny? She's Jenny? She's Jenny. She's Jenny? Yeah, she's um, a very famous actor. <laughs> she's okay. been in so much stuff. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I have <laughs> seen Forrest Gump, but I didn't even see it when it came out. Okay, Inigo <laughs> Montoya, played by Mandy Patinkin, who also I don't remember ever seeing in the movie. Well, he has been, a, he's mostly like a Broadway actor, but he was also on the show Criminal Minds for many years, oh, which I, seems I, like the kind of show you would have watched because you I love murder it. mysteries. Yeah, I do. Okay, yeah. then Prince Humperdinck, played by Chris Sarandon. Count Sarandon. Rugen. Sarandon, that's right, Sarandon. Yes. Count Rugen, who, um, well, I won't go all through all the actors. Vizini, <laughs> Vizini. He's a very funny character who yeah. gets knocked off early. Fezzik. Now, I do have to mention him because he's Andre the Giant, who has since passed away. Many and, years, 30 years at this point. 1993, he passed away. Oh, really? The yeah. clergyman, the albino. A lot of these people don't even have names. Valerie, <laughs> Miracle Max, grandfather and grandson with a cameo okay. by mother. But, you know, she's <laughs> she's only in there for a second. And a few other people. But those are the main characters. Yeah. All right. Well, who is your favorite character? Oh, no, I forgot to figure that out. I guess Inigo Montoya. <laughs> That's my favorite character, oh, too. No! And, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. He's the best character in the movie. He's so cool. Mandy Patinkin gives the best performance in the movie. He's the character that has the most satisfying arc, yes. you know? Yes, <laughs> yes. Like... A lot of the other characters are kind of flat archetypes and they're they're fun to watch and they're compelling in their own way. But he is the most fully fleshed out character in the movie. He has the most he's, depth to him. Yeah, he's the only character with an arc, isn't he? Who else has an arc? I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I learned arc from Jackson, by the way. <laughs> He's the one with a theater degree. I didn't even know there was such a thing as an arc. Except really? Noah's arc. You read, you know things. I know, no, I didn't think about that. Never. Okay. I, I think it's really cool, though. But I don't know of any other character that has an arc. Well, I mean, okay. I, I should say right now, I actually read Carrie Ellis's book about the making of this movie. So I'm going to kind of pepper little... Uh, stories and facts from that book uh, throughout this conversation. But are there any characters you would like to talk about besides Inigo? Fezzik. <laughs> you want to talk about Fezzik? We can talk about Fezzik. Okay. He's a great character. You love him from yeah. the very beginning. He's, mm -hmm. he's so witty and so kind, you cannot even believe he's attached to a guy like Bizzini, who is like yeah. totally evil, you know, uh -huh. but uh, you just have to love Fezzik. And I, he's just got some of the funniest lines through the whole movie. Yeah. And of course, he's played by Andre the Giant, who this might surprise you. It won't surprise many of our listeners, but it, it might surprise you. At the time this movie was made, Andre the Giant was probably the most famous actor in the movie. Really? Yes, because he was a big pro wrestling star in the 80s. With the emphasis on big. Well, yes. He was a very large man, seven and a half feet tall, 500 pounds. You, you did the number one pun. <laughs> I did the number one pun. <laughs> 
Where are your signs? Come on. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, reading uh, Carrie Ellis's account of making this movie and also listening to other actors and people that worked on the movie, Andre the Giant was beloved among everyone he met. He was truly a kind, gentle person who was very misunderstood because of his size. He was so much bigger than anyone else. Everybody just, whenever he stepped into the room, everyone stared at him. And oh, some I, people were afraid of him. They show his hand, yeah. Yeah, his hand can like, there's a, there's a very famous picture that you can uh, Google later where it shows a beer can in his hand and his hand just closes around the beer can. He was tremendously large. Yeah, but he was just such a kind, sweet person. So he was actually just playing himself in the movie. Yes, he was. Basically, like, they pursued him to play this character because they really wanted a gentle giant. And he was both the gentlest and the most giant. <laughs> Even so, his voice is soothing. Yeah, he's got a very deep voice. He actually, um, when he was making this movie, you know, English wasn't his first language. He was raised in France, but his parents were from, like, Eastern Europe. So he was kind of from here and there. And they made, Rob Reiner actually made a tape of all his lines and gave him a Walkman. And he would walk around with the Walkman with the headphones on his head so he could learn all his lines. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, he did very well. Yeah. And I'm sure that many people were grieved when he passed away. Yeah. It was, it's very sad. I mean, people who have, that sort of, I don't want to call it a disease. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just how they're born. Like people who are born with gigantism, like they don't live that long because their body can't, can't sustain because they're just so big. Okay. Now and so, right. yeah. Sad. Anyway, any other characters you want to talk about? Um, well, the Zinni. Okay. Wallace really, Shawn. Yeah. He really talked funny. Well, he that's really how he talks. Like Oh. Yeah, no, that's just how he talks. I and never saw him in any other movie. Okay, we went into a little bit about uh, Andre the Giant. Let's go into a little bit about Wallace Shawn. He is an intellectual titan. Ooh. Like, he's not only an actor, but he's a playwright and an academic. He goes around and, like, gives lectures on English literature at prestigious universities. During this movie, he actually gave a lecture at Oxford. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because he's an expert on literature, but he's short and a little funny looking and he has a lisp. And so he, as an actor, he gets cast in comedies. But apparently, if you were to just sit down and talk to this man in real life, you can't keep up with him intellectually. In other words, the scene where of the poison scene, he probably didn't have any trouble memorizing that scene. Well... Well, here's the other thing about that. He was cast pretty late in the game. And he also found out via his agent that they didn't pick him first for the role. They wanted, they wanted Danny DeVito. Oh, really? Which would have also been it good. It would have been okay, yeah. Yeah, but they told him that he was not the first choice. And so he spent the whole shoot of this movie being very insecure about his place in the movie and about his performance. Like, and yet when you watch this movie now, he is one of the characters you think about the most when you walk away from the movie. Unforgettable, not unbelievable, unforgettable. Well, that's one of the things about this movie is according to, like I said, Carrie Elwes's book, which has a lot of um, excerpts from the other people that worked on the movie. It's not just his words. It's all their words. Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal and Robin Wright and Wallace Shawn, you know, obviously not Andre the Giant because he died, but um, Mandy Patinkin, other people like that. Everybody that worked on this movie, they know that this movie is kind of their legacy. This is the movie they're going to be remembered for. And they're all very grateful to have been part of it. Even Wallace Shawn at this point. So, you know, there are like um, 
conventions and uh, fan events and stuff like that. And they will show up and do Q and A's and they're all, they're all so proud to be a part of this movie. And that's part of the beauty of it. I think. I'll have to agree with you. It is a, one of the most clever movies I've ever seen. Yeah, Very clever. Cause it's also, it's also notable that this movie was not a success when it came out. I saw that. Yeah. It, it did okay, but it wasn't a hit. It only became a hit later as home video came out and people started showing it to their kids and stuff. We'll talk about that later. Very good. So that leads us into our next segment, scene selections. All right. Who goes first? Wherein we uh, skip to the parts on the DVD that we most want to talk about. No, you go first. I don't go first. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, so um, this is really kind of all the way through the book. Um, I mean, all the way through the movie. Grandfather, uh-huh. grandfather Peter Falk comes in, he's reading the book, and, and grandson does not want to hear this book because uh-huh. he's afraid it's a sappy kissing book, and he doesn't <laughs> want to hear a sappy romantic he doesn't want a book with any kissing in it Uh um but as the book goes on he can put up with the kissing by the end he likes it but (laughs) what really makes me get endeared to the parts where the grandson is urging grandfather to go on and read and more keep going don't stop reading the book Uh um is that it reminds me of two sons who were young and <laughs> didn't want to stop reading the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, one more chapter, just one more chapter. Do you want to tell the blizzard story? I do. I want to okay, tell. Okay, tell the blizzard story. In 19, is it 1994? Yeah. 93. 93. 30 years ago. So Same we- year that Andre the Giant died. Oh, the blizzard of the century. So I, we were not really prepared for the blizzard, actually. We didn't really believe it would happen. But we live on a dirt road, and the blizzard literally snowed us into our home for like mm-hmm. five days. And mm-hmm. um, all we could do, we didn't have any electricity. We didn't have any water. We had to go get water out of the pool to flush the toilet. And, um, but anyway... I was reading a book by Brock and Bodie Taney uh, about the um, depression. And for some reason, I started reading it out loud. Now, this is not a kid's book, but it's a great story and it has little boys in it. And so. uh, What was it called? Like, say to this mountain or something like that? You know, I should have dragged out the book because I can't, a thousand shall fall. And That's one of them. There were like multiple books. I think there were three of them. There were only three. But anyway. No, there were four because there there was an original trilogy and then they wrote a sequel. Okay. Sorry. It's been so long. That's been. Oh, I remember. (laughs) But you kept begging me to read a little more. Just read yeah. one more chapter, one more chapter. I ended up reading the whole book out loud and probably <laughs> more than one. <laughs> and that was really cute because, I mean, you were what, nine years old? No. Ten. Ten at that point. You, you had turned ten in January. Yes. Yeah. Eric would have been five. Yeah. Well, that's right. And so it was just hysterical that I'm reading these adult <laughs> novels. They were Christian novels. They were perfectly clean, but they just begged for more. And then later on, when I was homeschooling Eric, I, he just wasn't very interested in reading. And so mm-hmm. I dragged out this present darkness by Frank Peretti. <laughs> he was in like the fifth grade or something. And, we would just have to spend almost a whole day reading just one more chapter, one more chapter. And so Fred Savage really reminded me of you guys when you were young. It was very yeah. cool. It was really neat. It, I was delighted. You developed a love of reading at a very young age and you still do love it. And that is just wonderful. And Fred Savage grew to love the book. That's scene <laughs> number one. Okay. So for my first one, I'm going to pick a silly one because I love the silly ones. 
And so I'm going to pick right after Vincini and Inigo and Fezzik are introduced. They take, they've kidnapped Buttercup and they have her on a boat. Mm-hmm. And Fezzik starts rhyming everything that Vizzini says. And Vizzini's so annoyed by it, but Inigo kind of eggs it on. You know, he's like, he will not do us any harm. And he's like, he's really very short on charm. <laughs> but the part that kills me, and this won't take long, but it's just, he's like, no more rhyming now. I mean it. And you just hear, Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> no, I know. He's like, ah! You just, you just hear him. Because it's like a shot of the boat that's far away. You don't see them say it. You just hear it. And it's, uh, it's just one of those wonderful little moments of comedy that every movie needs. Even the most serious movies need a little bit of levity once in a while. And this is not a serious movie, but... This is my one of my favorite moments of comedy. I also want to uh, go back to what you were saying about the grandson interjecting because the actual funniest moment in this movie to me is later in the movie when there's kind of a fake out scene where Buttercup is marrying Prince Humperdinck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Fred Savage is like, no, she can't marry him. She has to marry Wesley. <laughs> Yes. And the grand and the grandfather says, Do you want me to continue? <laughs> and Fred Savage just goes, Yes. <laughs> he's, I know. he's so defeated at that point. Like I he's know. so sucked into the story. He's been defeated by how much he loves the story in spite of himself. And it was a dream <laughs> in the book. It was a dream, but it's just it just kills me how he's just like, yes. I know that was so funny. I know I love that. It makes me laugh every time. All right. So we're back to your. Well, and then eventually he says, I don't mind the kissing. Yeah. Which his grandfather pointed out to him. He's like, someday you might not mind so much. Yeah. Not necessarily meaning someday meant later today, but it only took that long because it's a good story. Fred Savage does a great job for a little kid, for any anybody. Well, you know, he went on to be a pretty prominent child actor. He was the lead of uh, The Wonder Years, which was a very popular series in its day. Now he is a director. He directs a lot of television. Oh, okay. Yeah, I a lot of comedy. The Wonder, I may have watched The Wonder Years once, but I don't watch a lot of television other than yeah. movies. <laughs> Okay, so number scene number two. I love the beginning of the movie. Okay. The development of the romance. Not the beginning of the movie where grandfather comes in, when he starts reading the book. And he mm-hmm. talks about um, Wesley being a farm boy and Buttercup. He works for Buttercup, her family. And all Wesley ever says to Buttercup when she tells him to do something and she's kind of mean to him, he says, as you wish. He never says Mm -hmm. anything else until after Mm -hmm. she falls in love with him. But all he's ever said to her was, as you wish. And I just thought it was really cool how he won her heart with his actions, not words. Mm -hmm. And um, by serving her and just being kind. And I love that part of the movie where he wins her heart. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what love is. Is it three little words or as you wish, not I love you. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, I actually think that's in some ways that's more romantic than he doesn't say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's kind of what love is, right? It's it's finding ways to be there for the people that you love. Amen. And it is serving them and and making action not just words correct and so, that's why i really like that scene yeah all right so <laughs> we're going through this pretty fast but it's fine i like okay. i said i've got a lot of uh, little details oh. to pepper through this because i actually did my minutes. research on this movie we've already talked uh, 30 minutes oh that's fine it doesn't feel like 30 minutes well, to me is been. it to you no no we, we've okay. got a lot of lightning <laughs> So 
she assigned this to me, by the way, because <laughs> we have Sorry. talked about this movie. <laughs> but we have to talk about the poison scene, the battle of wits. And she initially said this was going to be like one of her favorite scenes to talk about. But then she chickened out and she was like, no, you have to talk about this because you're more entertaining than me. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it is kind of the centerpiece of the movie, even though it takes place only about a half hour in. There is a full hour plus after this scene. Like, it's not even the midpoint of the movie, but it's the scene that everybody remembers. And that's after Wesley, who has uh, assumed the mantle of the Dread Pirate Roberts, has pursued Vizzini and Fezzik and Inigo and their captor. Um, no, what's the opposite of captor? Capturee? <laughs> their um captive hostage captive yeah i'm stupid sometimes it's all right i, I, I know a lot of words but sometimes or... sometimes words escape me anyway they're captive buttercup and he has pursued them he has defeated inigo in a sword fighting duel which spoilers we're going to talk about in a second uh he has defeated fezzik in a uh, battle of strength and now he comes to um, oh, what's his name? Vizzini. <laughs> Vizzini, yes. He comes to Vizzini, and Vizzini's sitting there with, like, a whole picnic. Where was he carrying that, by the way? I don't know. <laughs> he didn't have a backpack or anything, well, but he has, like a, like, a whole... It's the he, Yeah, exactly. He has a whole wine and cheese spread out on a rock, and he's got a knife to Buttercup's neck. And... He says, you've defeated my Spaniard and you've defeated my giant. So it looks like we have to go up against each other, but you are clearly stronger than me. So we have to use our minds. <laughs> so Wesley devises this battle of wits where he puts, he takes out some Iocane powder, which is not a real poison. Turns out that is made up. And he puts it in a goblet, puts it behind his back and pours it into one of the goblets and the idea is you, Vizzini, decide which goblet has the poison, and then we both drink, and one of us will be dead. And then, then follows a, <laughs> a dizzying display of labyrinthine logic from Vizzini, <laughs> which I will not even attempt to quote. It involves, like, the country of Australia and... <laughs> The idea that man is mortal and all this other stuff. <laughs> I will say this was Wallace Shawn's first scene that he filmed for the movie. Oh, oh, really? Okay. How intimidating is that? That's you've got you've only got a few scenes, but the first scene you have to film is this one. And the dialogue is very intricate. And I will also put in here that this movie is written by William Goldman who wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, The Ghost in the Darkness, many, many, many classic films. This is the one he said was the favorite thing he's ever written. Oh my goodness, I don't doubt it. Yeah, and it's because of moments like this. It's like, it was just his passion project. And it actually took a lot of time to get this movie made. No studio wanted to make this movie. Because oh. the novel came out in 1973. This movie didn't come out until 1987. But this scene is kind of the centerpiece of this really genius uh, work of writing. So I don't know that I have much to say about it other than that. Except that it's just, it's just so classic. This is the scene that everybody quotes. And it ends with one of the best quotes in the movie. It's like, you just fall into one of the great follies or something like that. The first of which, never get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> and the second of which, never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he falls over dead. <laughs> he just falls over dead. Like there's no, there's no like, there's, there's no, no more Vizzini. 
There's no more to yeah. see. He's gone. Yeah. There's no like coughing or suffering or anything. <laughs> he's just one second he's laughing and the next second he is dead. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I think but, it really well. But you get, you also get Carrie Elwes in this moment. We haven't talked about him very much. You know, they cast him because he had that kind of um, old tiny matinee idol look. He looked like Errol Flynn or Douglas Fairbanks, but he was also funny. You know, he could do the comedy. And so they cast him because of that. And uh, he's never really been used well since then by Hollywood. Oh, really? Well, we're about to talk about him. Yeah, I know we're about to talk about him. That's why I'm saying this, so we can lead into it. Oh, okay. But uh, he's he's played a lot of villains and stuff, but I love him in this scene because he's just sitting there just watching this stupid stuff come out of Vizzini's mouth. And he's like, <laughs> you're trying to make me give something away. It won't work. You know, <laughs> it's very, very understated. It is yeah. very. It's delightful. All right. I, I so mean, you need to say that somebody dying is a delightful, but it's just the movie. So, <laughs> all, all right. right. My last favorite scene, and one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, is the scene of uh, Inigo and Fezzik and Wesley on the castle turret. All right. Wesley has been mostly dead all day, which is a, a play on words for half dead. It's It's between half dead and dead okay uh-huh. mostly dead he's been uh tortured by prince humperdinck and he's mostly no by count rugen oh by count rugen but at Which the order of, we will get to count rugen in a yes, minute but at yeah. the order of prince humperdinck but 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 it was prince humperdinck who came in and turned the machine up to 50 remember that's true yes okay so um, anyway, so he's most he's been mostly dead, and and they drag him off. Um, Inigo and uh, Fezic find him. They find him on the slab, uh, mostly dead. They are going to take him over to Mad Max, and what's her name? Mad Max. Not that's not a different movie. Oh, Max. Max. <laughs> Miracle Max. Miracle Max. Miracle Max. (laughs) And uh, his wife, Valerie. Yes. Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. Yes. He gets this miracle pill that's covered in chocolate to make it easier to go down. So they drag him up to the turret because they're going to try to stop the wedding of Prince Humperdinck and Buttercup. But they, Mm -hmm. but, but um, Carrie Elwes does a brilliant brilliant job of being flaccid i mean completely <laughs> flaccid his neck flops over and it's sideways and he can't he wakes up they put the pill in his mouth and um it works really fast and he says i'm a quick healer you know but he can barely talk but he can't he can talk but he can't move his limbs he he can't move he says why can't why can't i move my arms you know and I can't really, and you could probably do a better job of describing what they say because I can't remember the lines. But he talks about, uh, Inigo says, we can figure this out, how to break into the castle and stop the wedding with your brains, physic strength, and my steel. And then, mm-hmm. um, so it's just this five minutes of them being on the turret trying to figure out how to stop the wedding. And I, I really can't go. You're going to have to go into the. Well, it's not even just the turret. Like it continues. Like Wesley really does, is immobilized for a while in this movie. He is almost like, to the very goes, end. They go and get a wheelbarrow so they can wheel in Andre the Giant to pretend to be the Dread Pirate Roberts and get set on fire. <laughs> but it's so funny. Then, when, oh, sorry. If he says if he only in, had a wheelbarrow. Yeah. And then if I only had a a Holocaust road. Which I don't actually know what that means. Well, That does not. Okay. But it doesn't mean like Holocaust, like the World War II version of Holocaust. No, just the generic term of a Holocaust. They're going to get it on fire. Okay. That's what that means. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't sure what that meant. 
that was very confusing. <laughs> All right. That's what they meant. They're going to set it yeah. on fire. And then, but then they're dragging him through the hallways of the castle. I know. And, and Wesley is still just mostly immobilized. He's just kind of being dragged through by Andre the Giant. But he did <laughs> such a brilliant job of flopping around like a mostly dead person. He does. That's why he got cast in this movie because oh, he looked scary. like he looked like Errol Flynn or Douglas Fairbanks, but he could do the physical comedy like I don't know Eddie Murphy or somebody like that. I just found that scene extremely funny. Well, that leads us into. I actually want to talk about two scenes, but they're connected. So I want to talk about there are two sword fights in this movie. One between. Inigo and Wesley, and the other between Inigo and Count Rugen. The first one is during, you know, Wesley dressed as the man in black. He's pursuing Inigo and Fezzik and Vizzini uh, and their captive Buttercup. And he climbs up, they climb up a cliff and Wesley gets left behind uh, because they cut the rope behind him and he's hanging off the edge of the cliff. And Inigo gets left behind to finish him off, basically, while the other three escape. And it's kind of a beautiful moment that they share while Mm -hmm. Wesley is hanging off the edge of this cliff and Inigo is at the top. And he's trying to persuade Wesley to accept help, like in the form of a rope. Wesley won't take it. And then Inigo says... I swear on the soul of my father, Domingo Montoya, you will reach the top of life. <laughs> and it's, and Wesley immediately decides that's good enough. Then he gets to the top and they start talking. And <laughs> it turns out they really like each other. <laughs> but they still have to have a sword fight. <laughs> and so what you end up is, with is this greatest sword fight ever, where neither man wants to kill the other one. They just want to see how good the other one is at sword fighting. Like they're talking through the whole thing. They're talking about strategy and everything. And <laughs> turns they out that they're both left-handed. They both start out left-handed, but neither one of them are left-handed. They're just doing it to toy with the other one or to <laughs> test themselves or whatever. And then they switch to right hands. And it turns out that that whole sequence, they... Uh, Carrie Elwes and um, Mandy Patinkin worked on that for months. Mm-hmm. And so every shot of that where they're actually sword fighting is them. They did not use stunt doubles. They only used stunt doubles for a couple shots where they had to do like flips and stuff. But the rest of that is them. And you can see it in the movie. It's their faces. And they come off as expert swordsmen. They did. And yeah, you have these two guys that really admire each other and don't want to kill each other. Then you have the sword fight that Inigo has with Count Rugen. Because that is the man who killed his father. So I will say now, Mandy Patinkin took this role as a tribute to his own father who had died from cancer years before. And he saw it as a way to honor his father's memory. Mm. So you get to that final scene and Inigo has been wounded. You know, he's chased the, he's chased Count Rugen all through the castle because Count Rugen initially runs away from him. It does. Which is very funny. (laughs) Um, But he finally catches up and uh, Count Rugen throws a knife in his belly, like dirty move. And then... Count Rugen taunts him and Inigo rallies and remembers his father and starts saying the thing he's been saying the whole movie. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he just keeps saying that. And he regains his strength as he says it because every step he takes is a step closer to justice for his dead father. And he replicates the wounds that Count Rugen has given him. Mm-hmm. He starts with, he starts with the wounds he gives to his shoulder and arm mm-hmm. because at the beginning of that fight, like 
he parries the blows that Count Rugen has aimed at his heart toward his shoulder and his arm. And then he gives him the scars on his face that he received as a child when he first tried to avenge his father. And then he says it one more time. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And Count Rugen is just like, stop saying that. He's so, he's so frustrated and angry because he is no match for this man. Even though this Inigo is so wounded at this point, he's broken, he's bleeding, but he's no match for this man's courage or his resolve. And then he starts saying all the things he will give Inigo if he will stop his plight for revenge. And Inigo just goes along with it. And he's like, okay, give me this and this and this. Give me everything I want. And he says, what do you want? And I won't say the whole line. <laughs> Good. But, but he says, I want my father back. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is not only a satisfying line from the character, but when you know that Mandy Patinkin took this role as a way of honoring his father who had died. Like it's very moving on that level too. It is. That's it's something he can't have, but it's satisfying to be able to say it. Well, it's the only about the only serious part in the whole movie. Yeah, but it's the best part in the movie. Well, <laughs> it's the best part. There's a reason we both said Inigo is our favorite character in yeah. this movie. Because he has the most satisfying ending of all the characters. He does. Yeah. Can you tell it? Well, he gets offered the job to be the Dread Pirate Robert. Yeah, but what does he say before that? Oh, he says he's sought revenge his whole life. He doesn't. That now that he has it, he doesn't know what to do with himself. And then he's offered the job of the Dread Pirate Roberts by Wesley. Which, you know, pirates are not good. <laughs> no. pirates are not noble or heroic but in a story they can be well so. you know <laughs> i mean it's errol flynn paid a bunch of good pirates you know yeah but anyway um you don't think about what they're doing it's just that it's, the way wesley describes is they just sailed around yeah exactly well they kill a lot of people at least the previous dread pirate roberts did I don't but know probably about probably not Wesley. Probably not. Know. We don't know about that. But anyway, he didn't know what to do with the rest of his life because he'd sought revenge and, and revenge it was over with. And it was like, you know, I mean, revenge is not good. Okay. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. say revenge is good, but that's the way it was. He had sought revenge and he didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So Wesley offered him a job. All right. Well. This gets us into our final, well, not final segment, but next segment, next to last segment, which is lessons learned. Yes. Which I feel like we've already kind of talked about lessons learned a little bit. So maybe this is not going to be as long as it usually would be. I wrote, but, I wrote down a few. Okay. Well, talk about it. True love endures. Okay. I mean, it does. It, uh, true love endures, which is real timely for right now because dad and I will have our 50th wedding anniversary <laughs> next month. Of course, by the time you hear this, it will be way past that. Um, silliness is good. Silliness is good. That is worth talking about. Why okay. is silliness good? It's, um Laughter is the best medicine. Oh, yeah, I said that. I mean, <laughs> I knew I was going to have to say that, but I mean, it's um, it's good to it's why books are read and uh, or books are written uh, things to um, to laugh at. It helps lighten your heart. You know, there's a lot of pressures on people these days. There's a lot of mm -hmm. sadness in the world. And so laughter is good. I mean, the Bible mm -hmm. even says it's good. It just, mm -hmm. it's good for you to laugh. Silliness is good. I love silliness. <laughs> Persistence. Okay. Uh, Wesley and Inigo and even Prince Hupperdink. <laughs> 
Okay. I mean, he originally hired Vizini and Nego, and oh, I guess Vizini got Nego and the giant Fezig, but he hired. He was trying to start a war. Is that a good kind of persistence? No, though? I'm not no. saying it's good, <laughs> but it's still persistence. It's not a good persistence. Uh, family relationships, grandfather and grandson. You know. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's. He said, uh, grandfather came in and says, I read this to your father. My father read it to me. I read it to your father. Now I'm reading it to you. Good mm-hmm. family relationships. Courage. Wesley is brave, brave, brave. Teamwork. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, look at <laughs> on the turret. They're all three <laughs> carrying, carrying each other around. Those are the to me, those were some of the, the themes throughout the movie. And it's hard to think that there's good themes like that in such a silly movie. But it, I mean, it is a silly movie, but let's go back a little bit to what you said about family relationships. Okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know this better than anyone. Your father and I, my grandfather, we had a very special bond. You did. We did. And uh, I won't say I was his favorite grandchild, but I will also say. Would you like for me to say it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And he was really close to your cousin, Jimmy. Okay. When he was growing up. Okay. Yeah. But Jimmy and I are like 10 years apart or something. More than that. Yeah. He was born in 1969. Okay, so... 14. 14, okay. So by the so, yeah. time you came along, but he lived near you when you were a child, and he was in his old age. Yeah. He got to enjoy you more than any other of his grandchildren. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, he used to tell me stories, and, you know, I, I loved all my grandparents. I don't want to make light of them or anything. I loved them all in their own ways because they were all very different people. But he was the one I was the closest to because he was the silly one. He was. He was the one that would like, we would sit around and like make up silly stories and draw pictures and stuff like that. And so I see a movie like this where, where the kid is really taking his grandfather for granted at the beginning. But by the end, they've shared this bond over this wonderful story that the grandfather has read. And how does the movie end? That's the question we always have to ask, is how did the movie end? And it ends with the grandson being like, hey, granddad, would you come back and read this to me again tomorrow? And the grandfather turns around and says as you wish priceless i'm sorry sorry i try not to do this on the show (laughs) get emotional like this but what i would not give i know to have one more day with harry stover for him to tell me a story and he left us way too soon yeah he did but you know that's that's what this movie makes me think about. And maybe it's not in the movie. It's what I'm bringing to the movie. But I think at this point, we've established in these conversations, sometimes what you bring to the movie is just as important as what the movie brings to you. And for those who are hearing this, to understand it is very important to create those memories to, to do those things because it's what helps develop character in a person. Mm-hmm. It's what I'm I trying mean, to do with my Yeah, you're a grandparent. <laughs> you know, I think the relationship between grandparents and grand, grand, ah, grandchildren, sometimes words just don't come out of my mouth right. Um, I think that relationship between grandparents and grandchildren is very special because you are their parents' parent. You've seen what you've done with their parent, and now you get to see 
what your child does with their kid. Plus the fact that you get to give them back at the end of the day. <laughs> well, that's very Mike Warnke. So what? it's the truth. That's a, that's a very obscure reference for this podcast. Mike Warnke, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we know what we're talking about. Um, but, it, but it's the truth. You get to give them back and you don't have the responsibility of parenting. You just get all the enjoyment. Yeah. So it's really fun. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about this movie? We've talked about it a lot at this point. So, well, just for um, some caution for parents who don't want to hear, there's taking God's name in vain a couple of times, invoking the name of Jesus by the little boy. And um, that's, I, I didn't like that. I think that could have been left out of the movie and it would have been just as good. <laughs> you you might not agree with me but if you just I mean it, I I I noticed it but it doesn't really bother me that much. Well it, it bothers me so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are we moving on to the fifth scale then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, just so y'all know, this is our metric of uh rating movies. It's a two-pronged scale based on fun and feelings. So mom, what would you give this movie on the scale of fun? I give, I give it a 10. <laughs> it's hysterical. You know, you, the first time you see it, you laugh a lot harder than the, the last time, but it's still so funny. It's uh-huh. a funny movie. It, it's okay. so clever. I have to give it mm-hmm. a 10. I don't give every movie a 10, but I've got to give it You've given a couple of them 10. I know, but when you hear my next scale, you will say, no. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I am going to give it an eight on the phone. Okay, 10 plus eight. There's a couple of moments, like in the second half of the movie, that I feel like this movie kind of peaks in the first half hour. And then the next part of the movie, like, eh, that. Like when Wesley's being tortured in the pit of despair, like eh, that's not that fun. The albino is pretty fun, but yeah. yeah he is. We didn't even talk <laughs> about the albino. He's hysterical. He has since passed away as well, I found oh. out. Yeah. And Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, I read that they <laughs> were allowed, they were allowed to improvise some of their lines. Yeah, because they were comedians, or they are comedians. They're still alive. But Here's the thing about that scene. Everybody talks about it. I don't find it that funny. I really don't. Oh. I, I like Billy Crystal in other stuff, but in this movie, he doesn't do much for me. We didn't even so. talk about Mowage. <laughs> the impressive clergyman, yes, I believe. is. <laughs> There's too much to talk about in this movie. So there, Yeah, pretty much every scene has some kind of thing to talk about. So, okay. We're going to move on, though. All right. Uh, what would you rate this on the scale of feelings? Two? It's not a feel-good movie. <laughs> it is a feel-good movie. It has oh. a happy ending. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I do like the horses. I thought that was a really good touch. Really, though, but, but two? Problem. Okay, two. all right, I'll give it a four. No, 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 okay. two. That's yeah, what I, you gave it. Really, though? Yeah, but see, my <laughs> average is really good. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to give it a six. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to give it a six. I think this movie, you know, like I said, we've brought a lot of things to this movie, but I don't think you can bring things to a movie that has nothing there to begin with. And one of the things that I didn't talk about much is the idea of um, passing stories down generation to generation. We talked about it a little bit, but this is a movie that has been passed down because it wasn't a hit when it came out. It became a classic because people showed their kids and they showed their kids and they've showed their kids. And 
that that is something of value and that's what the movie is about it's a movie about passing stories down to the next generation so it's not it's not nothing no. so yeah i'll give it a and, six and so it gets a seven overall seven overall okay yeah, which is good perfectly respectable yes <laughs> I know I went really low on the two on the feelings, but see, I did 10 on the fun. So (laughs) I just didn't think it deserved, you know, too high on the feelings. Okay. If you want to grade on that kind of curve, that's fine. It wasn't really a curve. It was just the reasonableness of the overall movie. And I figured we would end up way above average, which we did. All right. It was so, not an Academy Award winner. It wasn't even nominated, was it, for anything? I don't think so, no. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about the music at all. Oh, my goodness. We can't not talk about the music. We have to mention I know, music. but that is your, that's it's, your department. It's written by Mark Knopfler, who is uh, my dad and mine's favorite guitarist. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite songwriters, like, Mark Knopfler is a very special bond that I share with my dad. We've seen him in concert. We love his music. And, uh, you know, that theme has been stuck in my head all week. Oh, mine too. It's so good. It's It's very simple, but it's it's that classic Mark Knopfler simplicity. Was that Mark Knopfler y'all went to see in Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. We saw him Eric, in the in the amphitheater. Yeah. Yes. Eric and I went to a, an arcade or something while y'all went to a concert. Oh, here's Murphy. Hi Murphy. It's my parents' dog, y'all. He is white and fluffy. He's very fluffy. Instincts. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, final question. What ages would you recommend this movie for? I don't recommend too too much below 13 really yeah okay. although it eric i mean some 10 year olds not a, for certain nothing below 10 okay well me i mean you're the parent here <laughs> yeah. well what about you i don't have any i don't have an opinion on this uh, i think it's <laughs> it's not a little kids movie i don't think they would enjoy it did eric watch it i think some time? i think some little kids really do enjoy it do they really at least parts of it they love the sword fights you know oh they love the giant i love the giant so yeah. i was thinking 13 you know but it's just a pg movie so yeah i, I guess parental guidance depending on the child mm-hmm. i i don't think much below 13 can appreciate all the little subtle humors no, definitely not. I didn't appreciate it when I first saw it. It took me years into adulthood to appreciate yeah. all of it. Yeah. Oh, and I, I just noticed this over these last watchings that he talks about uh, when uh, Wesley talks about wearing a mask. He says, I think it'll become popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, my two laugh. years later, Batman came out with Michael Keaton. I was thinking uh, more like COVID. Oh, well, (laughs) that's a whole different kind of mask. I was thinking about it being a prophecy. That's a bottom half mask. I know. It's a mask, though. Okay. Well, that concludes our discussion on The Princess Bride. This has gone on a little bit longer than usual. No, it's fine. We had a lot to talk about. Next time we will be discussing the film from 2003, directed by Richard Linkletter, School of Rock. Which I have just seen for the first time. And which is one of my favorite movies ever. (laughs) Very good. So get ready for um, some shenanigans and some face-melting guitar solos and a couple of lectures about the man. Yes, the man. (laughs) So uh, you can find this podcast uh, where you found it, anywhere, hopefully, that has podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review that helps us get heard by other people. And uh, until next time, as you wish. Very good.